0: Morena, no mai kiti korero Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio, Tereo o Onatangata. Oh Manawatu It is a Friday morning uh, and that would normally mean that we turn our attention to Palmerston North as it relates to central government with MP for Palmerston North, Tangi Utikeri. Uh, we did arrange to have the the interview. Something may have come up, we don't know, but he's not in the studio yet. We're going to give him a few minutes and see if he does turn up. In the meantime, uh, let's play some Music. This is a band, Dreams Are Like Water, uh, from 2017 with the uh, song Ineffable. Hopefully Tangi Utikere will be joining us shortly. And as we barely get through the uh, introduction to uh, Dreams Are Like Water and Ineffable, Tangi Utikere does join us in the studio. Good morning, sir. Morning to you, Fraser, and to our listeners out there. Yes, a little bit of uh, light traffic on the roads this morning, but...
1: Great to be here in person rather than on the phone.
0: Yes, indeed. And, uh, no, the weather does bring out uh, a slightly more interesting driving characteristics well, it's, amongst and An appropriate uh, piece of music, perhaps, to, uh, <laughs> to <laughs> yes. wait for me there. didn't even think about that. That was just the next one that was queued up. Um, yes, MP4, Palmerston North, to Utakere, joining us for the catch-up this morning. And there's there's quite a lot to get through. Mm. Um, and there's a list that uh, Catherine, uh, uh, your, your PA down in Wellington, I believe. Uh, based here in oh, Palmerston. Ba- Yep. She's, she's put a list together for us which we'll get through but a couple of things that are top of mind at the moment obviously the relaxing of the uh, COVID protection framework which I, I found quite interesting I thought it would be a, a descending into orange would be the next logical set but we're we're revisiting what red means that's right and
1: uh, one of the things that we've been talking about for quite some time is how uh, particularly with omicron that there needs to be some flexibility and so it's not simply a matter of changing uh, alert level, um, well not level, but traffic light settings from one to the next, Mm -hmm. Um, that will come and be reviewed on the 4th of of April by the Cabinet, but it is about looking at what red light settings look like and so and, those changes kick
0: in I mean they're really quite simple it's kind of hard to imagine anything <laughs> less than red I mean the outdoor uh, caps have have gone uh, indoor caps have doubled you're allowed 200, 200 people indoors now vaccine mandates will be uh, lifted we don't need to scan anymore I mean it's basically BAU with masks. Well the the, For the, interesting, most part.
1: Well, the interesting thing with that is because you know our high vaccination rates are at a really high level um that the, the nature of the omicron virus being in the community i mean you know this week we've seen our, our largest number of cases here in this particular region and in this city um close to a 1000 uh, that are in hospital across New Zealand so it, it just means that things are a little bit different uh and that those decisions have been able to be have been able to be made
0: now it's quite interesting here in mid-central uh on wednesday we were speaking to matt dallas from the man standard looking at mid-central covid numbers and and they're high i mean we are not over the peak in in mid-central at all um yes some other places might be but is, is it is it uh reasonable and sensible to lift all of these protections in mid-central right now
1: Well, it is still when we look at the alert level, um, well, the traffic light settings, they will be reviewed in in, in a matter of just over a week. But I did actually meet um, with Kath Cook, who's the CE of our DHB here on Tuesday. And, you know, we're we're sort of heading at that crest of, of the peak for us, she tells me. Um, we're not quite there yet and not quite through it. But it just means that people still need to be vigilant. People mm. need to be making sure that they are wearing their masks, that they are socially distanced, that they're sanitising, and actually that they follow the advice that's given, that if they're unwell, that they stay home, that they, they do take, um, you know, Tests and that they, particularly if they're household contacts as well, that they follow through with this seven-day um, isolation period.
0: It was uh, we spoke to Helen Warboys yesterday uh, about this as well and how they're relaxing the the requirements for their council facilities as well. Every step of the way during COVID, it has been about protecting our most vulnerable. It was generally accepted that if you were vaccinated, and even if you weren't, if you were an air quotes healthy human being, you would most likely get through COVID, um, but our most vulnerable wouldn't. So you know, we had to lock away our old people and our, our people that were immunocompromised. And they saw these these settings that we've had up until today uh, as being a, a protection. That protection has been removed now. Are we not running the risk of uh, our more vulnerable members of our community shutting themselves away because they're still terrified because COVID is still here?
1: And, and I see that Palmerston City Council have made similar uh, announcements overnight in terms of, you know, libraries, Lido, mm. all of those facilities as well.
0: I mean, libraries, stereotypically, that's where a lot of vulnerable yeah, people go.
1: And, and many of us who have been involved in community, in the community sector often send individuals to the library. For example, they need some assistance with computing and those sorts of things and access to information as well. Um, but the, the, the point in having those strong uh, public health measures is based on advice, and I have to reiterate that all of these decisions have been based on the public health advice from experts that have been given to the government and those that make decisions. But the the protective measures that were um, adhered to, that were put in place, were to protect our public health system. Um, with more people uh, you know, at a particular point in time, having the virus, having been in contact with the virus, having been vaccinated so that the impact and effects on them and their whānau is much um, less severe than those that are not or haven't been, uh, then it means that that those uh, restrictions can be loosened. Um, It also allows us to get back to some sense of normality, although that's a a changing word. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do hear from those that have... um, that are vulnerable and have said, well, you know, I'm concerned about, uh, for example, sending my child to school mm-hmm. uh, where teachers no longer will be required to be vaccinated. What I would say is that there are still some sectors for whom there is still a requirement for uh, them to be vaccinated workers and those are largely in, uh, in potentially compromised areas. So in, in our aged care sector, in health and disability and uh, corrections and also in our border force. So there are still some uh, restrictions in that space but these decisions have been made based on the public health health advice and also the level of Omicron that's out in the community and the high level of vaccination. Just in terms of vaccination, I'm going to be visiting a couple of vaccination centres later today mm-hmm. because one of the concerns that I do have is that with the focus on Omicron and household contacts and the like, that there's still uh, a little bit of a relaxation on, on people losing the vaccination message. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's something that the DHB are, are focusing on as well. So just a, a reminder to people about the requirement to, you know, get out there and be fully vaccinated, get the booster. And also for children, I think we're sitting at just over fifty yep. percent. Uh, of children being vaccinated in this particular area, so what to
0: be done? How how quickly can we sort of reverse this decision or look at the alert levels again? Because you know, new variant Delta Cron or something—they're yeah. starting to sound more and more like transformers as the day go, as, as the weeks go by. can through the alphabet, yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, the the next variant could throw a complete spanner in the works again, couldn't it?
1: It could be. And, you know, the the government has been really clear around that and public health providers have been clear around that as well. That, you know, we've put these settings in place to reflect what's happening within the current context of our community Mm -hmm. and communities. Um, And sure, things that come along, we need to be uh, versatile and, and flexible to be able to respond to that. So you know, these alert level settings, which is what they were, then they moved to traffic light settings. We are adapting and changing as the circumstances change. And so there may very well be other changes um, in the future. I heard this morning that today is the two-year anniversary where we all woke up and we were in day one of lockdown. And so, you know, that was a decision that many of us, all of us, I'm sure, remember where we were at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Right here. (laughs) There you go. Um, And, you know, those are the sorts of things that we can reflect on and and acknowledge that decisions were made. They were difficult decisions. They had to be made. Mm. Um, but the way in which they were made and the way in which the community responded was uh, positively but also really quickly. Um, so we've proven that we can do it uh, and I'm sure that you know if there are decisions like that that have to be made, they will be made quickly, they'll be made based on good, strong pub- public health evidence and advice and the community will respond accordingly.
0: Uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of jump, uh, throwing this at you without any preparation. I appreciate That's that. Fine. But I, I'm reminded, um, mentioning Matt Dallas there, one of the stories that we talked about on Wednesday was the South African family uh, in too the, the 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 husband, the father of the family, is is terminally ill with cancer and is desperately trying to get residency for his family so they have some security before he he passes away, which is an awful situation, and, and I'm sure we all empathize or sympathize with that. Um, but his wife is being refused entry because she's uh, too fat. Apparently, she is obese uh, in the eyes of. Somebody, um, and this, you know, is is all that. It- all that is required, really. Let's just disregard the the years of contribution to our community that one assumes they have because they've been here for a while. Is it? And you know, I know the 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 standard line is we cannot comment on individual cases, but isn't it time for a bit of an overhaul of the immigration system? I mean, you know, the, the obesity itself has become so vague in terms of its scientific definition. You know, the All Blacks are uh, laughably considered obese from their BMI. Uh, this seems like a ludicrous situation.
1: Well, you're right. I can't comment on individual <laughs> circumstances, but what I can say is that, you know, the the, the currency of um, residency and citizenship here in New Zealand is is very strong, and it's something that we obviously protect and something that we all value. Um, and with that come responsibilities responsibilities to look at what the criteria is. And I, I agree with you that there are uh, certainly and there should be opportunities for uh, criteria to con- constantly be uh, reviewed and to change as they need to be changed. one of the considerations at play uh, is the the requirement and potential cost on health system uh, the requirement for skilled migrants and what that means for New Zealand and, and our economy and our local community it also you know a requirement around uh, demonstrating one's commitment and involvement to the local community so and there are many others as well uh, good character um, whether you 've had any criminal offending all of those sorts of things they all go into the mix um, one of the avenues that are available to any local MP is to uh, advocate directly to um, the Minister of Immigration. It's called a Section 61. And I get quite a few of those requests. I I have to say I don't advocate for all, but I make a point of meeting with the individuals and their family face-to-face. And, you know, probably for about 40% of the people that I do meet, I, I do agree that they have have a a case and I make that out to the Minister. Um, It can be a long process because the Minister has absolute discretion Mm -hmm. and we had a situation actually um, earlier in the year that was reported in local media, I think it was earlier in the year, where there was um, a woman who also was declined on the basis of her weight as mm-hmm. we understand it, um, and you know the the outcome uh, from what I read in the newspaper and here on local media is that uh, the minister there was some intervention and 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 she has been granted residency. So there there are a range of different opportunities, and it's over completely discretion of of mm-hmm. the minister. Um, but I guess you know the question that you have have put to me about the current settings around immigration, we are constantly reviewing them. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are reviewed more quickly than others. Some of them are instantaneous. For example, the 4,000 humanitarian visas for Ukrainian families Mm -hmm. that we announced within the last two weeks. So, yes, it does change, but by the same token, um, the the value of our immigration settings here in New Zealand is something that is very strong, and we need to make sure that continues. Do
0: we know if any of those 4,000 Ukrainian refugees are overweight?
1: Will Um, they be a
0: drain on the health system?
1: Well, what... Uh, That's a flippant... I I assume that was a flippant comment. Um, I don't know. What I do know is that I've been working with um, a a few families that have made contact with our office um, to work through the application process, um, which is a a fairly standard process. Mm -hmm. It requires the person who's living here in New Zealand to be either a citizen or to have permanent residency, and then they're entitled to sponsor one person in their immediate family. Um, the, The response that I'm getting from local Ukrainian families is, yep, we'd love to do that, and they want to do that. But their loved ones actually, at the moment, mm-hmm. all want to stay behind and fight. Yeah, and so for them, it's about actually putting in place options yes. if things get to a point where they need to call upon that.
0: I guess my, my thing is 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 judging people's immigration status on the basis of weight not a bit hypocritical, given the 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 weight issues that New Zealand has overall. I mean, adding even a couple of hundred overweight people to the mix is not making that big a difference, no, is it? And, and and
1: you know, the reality is. That members of our Pacifica community um, are are very high in the obesity stats. but I go back to the point that those that are born here, actually they, they do have a right uh, as New Zealand citizens to access the public health system. We are talking about individuals that would want to take on the uh, rights and privileges that New Zealand residency or citizenship confers or offers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not casting any judgment on it. I'm just saying that those are the, the criteria. And one of the criteria is the potential cost to the public health system. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it is a criteria. It's something that is considered, but at the same time, there are humanitarian concerns and considerations at play as well. And when I think about the uh, the comparison with the humanitarian uh, Ukrainian visas, we know that we've set aside 4,000 mm-hmm. of those visas, and they are a, for a two-year period. Yeah. Um, you know, those that apply for permanent residency, it's exactly that permanent and also um, leads on to New Zealand citizenship.
0: Uh, related to immigration, we see Australia has uh, accepted our, our offer uh, to take on 150 uh, refugees. These are the ones that uh, are, were held in Nauru. Um, yeah. They did come in and on boats. Um, nine years too late. I mean, these people have been detained for nine years. Which, I mean, this just seems
1: ludicrous. And there are human rights, natural justice, you know, um, to be quite frank, basic considerations at play there. So, uh, yeah, it's it's pleasing that um, the Australian government have taken up that offer. It's mm-hmm. actually been on the cards. New Zealand has put this offer uh, when John Key was the prime minister. So yep. it's been in the pipeline for quite some time. Um, but it's been over to the Australian government to accept that. So yes, uh, 150 humanitarian refugees that will be uh, resettled here in, in New Zealand. Um, we see it as the right thing to do and it's wonderful that the Australian Government have agreed that that is the case, albeit nine years
0: later. Mm -hmm. We are here with MP for Palmerston North Tangiute on the Catch-Up. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, uh, go to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up, also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Um, Let's look at some good news. The capital connection has been included in the government's... um, Easing of the of the the fuel price issue that we have at the moment, so fares are being slashed on the capital connection as well. And you were up at the crack of dawn uh, to spread the good news on the uh, platforms uh, a couple of days ago, I think it wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. So um, last week the government announced a public transport. Uh, subsidy package Mm -hmm. to support the uh, cost of fuel at the moment. And so um, part of that consideration was whether or not the Capital Connection Service would be included in that. And so I uh, advocated directly to uh, Minister of Transport Michael Wood around that, um, highlighting the value of the service. He and I had actually actually visited um, soon after the general election, uh, I think it was December, the upgrade to the carriages, the 12 carriages down at the hut workshops, down at workshops there. Yep. So he knows the value that uh, our local uh, region has for Capital Connection.
0: And if people don't realise the Capital Connection is a, a, a unique beast in that it Trans, it goes across various boundaries and, and territories which means funding for it has always been a challenge.
1: It has, so the two, you know, we've got um, the Greater Wellington Regional Council at one end and in the northern end the Horizons Regional Council and so you know, last week I spoke with the Regional Council Chair Rachel Keedwell around that just to confirm my advocacy for the service and I know that there are a number of things at play here, so for example there are concerns about the frequency of the service, mm. you know, we would all love it to be more than just down in the morning. Morning and back in the evening, um, and so I know that that's that's a piece of work that needs to be undertaken. Also, the service at the moment, ninety um, percent is funded by uh, the regional councils, and so they're, they're hopeful in the the budget that that's going to change and that the government will take on more of a responsibility mm-hmm. around that. But this particular announcement this week uh, was about including the capital connection in the fifty percent fee reduction, and so. Cabinet have agreed to that, and so, yeah, I was uh, up at the crack of dawn to head down and and do a bit of a video to say, hey, this is fantastic news, Mm -hmm. uh, to see that the the government have... you know, listened and have uh, taken on board that this is a valuable service. So it, ma- it will make a huge difference. And the feedback that I'm getting is overwhelmingly positive
0: around that. Well, I mean, for three months. It, I mean, it will be, but I mean, uh, a lot of the people that were down at the platform when you were sharing the good news, they would have been going anyway. It's whether people will leave their cars behind for, let's be honest, uh, a, a less, um, less easy to use service because, you know, you can take your car whenever you want. You've got to be at the platform at a certain time. Um, um, will those people transition, and will they maintain that transition if and when petrol prices come down again? So there are two things there. One is that this is
1: an option, and what I'm seeing on social media and the feedback that I'm getting is that people are going to uh, that they're going to make that decision because it's more affordable mm-hmm. for them to get to Wellington. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that it's comparable because there are there is a subsidy being applied to other forms of public service, mm-hmm. but not the capital <coughs> connection. That is not fair. This is a commuter service largely. It leaves in the morning. It only operates on weekdays. It gets people down to Wellington in time for work and home again after work. So for me, this was about actually making sure that there was an equitable lens across the government's announcement and to include the capital connection just as it was including Tahui the service between Auckland and Waikato yep. and all public transport fares elsewhere was a fair thing to do. The government has have listened and as a result they have valued that this is a, a is a service that needs to be funded.
0: So once you've tackled their quality lens, will you be tackling or, or advocating for increased convenience of, of the, the service?
1: Absolutely. And I know that, you know, um, the government is already aware of my advocacy in that space around increased frequency. Acknowledging that this comes at a cost and it's a question around who bears that cost, you know, what role the regional council plays, what role fares play within that, but fundamentally what role wakakotahi uh, and government play as well. So yes there's um, funding, there's frequency of service and for the time being there's a three month discount yes. uh, of 50%. And when we look at that that's cutting the adult fare of $35 down to 17 50. And I had confirmation yesterday that those that do commute um, and buy a, a monthly pass or buy a 10-trip a ticket, that those fares are also reduced by 50%, that concessions are reduced. So, you know, a senior, for example, who wants to get a 10-trip ticket, it'll cost them $100, yep. um, 10 bucks a trip. Um, Which is the though, cost
0: of one car, ride. <laughs> well, there really? you go.
1: There you go. But the other thing is that those that have already prepaid their monthlies, um, they've been cancelled or refunded so that they can actually... um you know, avail themselves of, of the new rate. Mm.
0: Um, very quic- so good news. Yes, good news. no, very good news. Uh, very quickly, just looking at some of your local electorate activities, which we haven't really been able to look at over the, the past few weeks. Um, you were at the Plastic Pollution Challenge last Saturday.
1: Yes, yeah, so Environment Network Manawatu are running regular events uh, as part of their PAMI Plastic Pollution Challenge. And so they are tackling largely our waterways mm-hmm. um, and our smaller waterways, you know, our contributories and the like. And so I was able to head down. Uh, to Clawson Reserve um, to help out there. I, I noticed um, that Councillor Dingwall and her family were there as well, uh, but it was a good opportunity to just do a little bit to help out. It's amazing what, even though the focus was on plastic and getting plastic out, there's a whole lot of crap <laughs> that people just dump anywhere and everywhere. And it was amazing to see what was actually in our waterways and up on the bankside there. So Going to be doing more of them? I will be as time permits, yeah. Um, and, you know, there were many that were quite keen to. Get into the waders and into yes. the water. I did have my gumboots. Um, but I just want to signal, you know, a huge thanks to Nelson and the team from EM for continuing that work. And it's open to anyone. So keep a lookout for what's happening in your local community to listeners and, and head along if, if you're able to. Uh, relay for life today, isn't it? It is. So, it's going yeah, it, it, it to be a wet one. It is going to be a wet one, literally, because. Uh, It's been cancelled in terms of the numbers. So the encouragement has been... It's been cancelled for a while, but the encouragement has been on community groups and schools and others, and we know that schools get running behind Mm -hmm. this, um, to do their own thing. So uh, our youth MP... Hemi is uh, as, as part of a prefect that Boys High is doing uh, a, a swimathon the the links there him oh, and the prefects, okay. right, yeah. uh, the the equivalent of swimming the Cook straight. so I've agreed to go down this morning and do a couple of lanes uh, a couple of links um, I did suggest it be not be a time trial uh-huh. um, so yeah I've, I've I've the reason I was late this morning slightly is I had to go back to pack my togs um, <laughs> so I'm sorry about that but it's for a good cause
0: indeed and you also uh, had a chat to some Massy students about being being an MP, which not to be glib, but that's normally the sort of thing you do for like school kids, isn't it?
1: Well, this was really interesting because it's a group of second-year social policy students. So they right. really did put me through the ringer. Um, and a lot of their, their focus is uh, largely around... Uh, my role in select committees and how right. select committees actually value those that might have a social policy lens so yes it's great as an MP to get the full spectrum of education from um, early childhood through to primary and secondary school students through to tertiary students and so it was a good opportunity you know via zoom um, to engage with them to answer their questions um, they they had a view about MP salaries uh, going into the Zoom, and thought that MPs could take a pay cut and put more money into health and other things. Um, incidentally, by the end of the session, they thought that um, for the work that MPs do, perhaps that um, that may not necessarily be the the case. So that surprised me. Wow. But um, it, it's always a good opportunity to meet with people and you know I don't I know it sounds a bit glib to talk about being an MP, but there are many facets to this role that I undertake. I, and I mean, people, you know, really are quite interested to learn about many I, of them.
0: Exactly. I don't think a lot of people appreciate I mean they they see the, the amateur dramatics in the, the debating chamber. They see you you know the, the traditional you know patting the dog and kissing the baby. Well we we don't kiss babies anymore in this pandemic environment. Um, but they see that sort of public face thing. But, you know, there, there's a lot of reading. There's a lot of very constructive debate and discussion. I mean, I know you and Ian McKelvey, for example, opposite sides of the house, but you get on fairly yeah. well. Um, there, there, yeah, there's a lot of that going on. And even the, you know, wandering around and visiting places across the country, all the travel as well, because you don't get the the, the, the you know, private planes or, or first class seats. You, you, you guys travel cattle class most of the time, don't you? It's yeah, the only I,
1: class that's around. That's true. I do try and sit close to the door to get out <laughs> quickly and on, you know, perhaps close to the end. But, um, no, you're right. There are many facets to this role. And when you talk with groups, when you talk with um, second-year social policy students, um, there's always something to the role that they're keen to talk about. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, there are some limitations at the moment. And it's a a little... I mean, I, I entered Parliament during a pandemic. So... Uh, we're starting to see some of the international travel start up again. Some mm-hmm. of my colleagues this week are in Indonesia, a colleague that's just left Fiji for Australia. The Prime Minister, as we know, will be heading overseas uh, next month. Um, other colleagues have as well. So there are there are different facets to the role that haven't been fully experienced by MPs yet. Mm-hmm. Um but that that will come in due course, and yeah, I'm as you know, I continue to enjoy it. I, I see it as a privilege, but at the same time, I like to connect with the local community wherever I can.
0: Uh, let's just talk briefly, if we can, about your uh, local government pecuniary interest register amendment bill. Uh, for in layman's terms, this is: if you vote in the general election, you can look at uh, the candidates and their. Pecuniary interests, where they might hold shares, how many houses they might have. Generally, see if they've got a bias or, or anything like that. Not so for local government at the moment. People can uh, have millions of dollars in the bank and be uh, aligned with a Russian oligarch, and no one would know the best. No one would know the better. Um, but you're seeking to change that, and this amendment bill is going through the house, and generally is being viewed quite positively. It's not being held up in any way, is it?
1: No, no. So um, it's it's actually timely that there's an update because it is a transparency bill and this week um, the select committee reported it back to the House. So Ian McKelvey actually chairs that select committee and uh, he and I have been seeing a wee bit of each other as part of that process. Um, The the bill has been reported back with some changes to make it a bit clearer and I'm really happy and comfortable with the changes. It was reported back unanimously so all of the parties involved think that it's a, a good bill and it should be passed. Some of the changes are for example that it will extend to um, community board members. We don't have any, any here at the moment in Palmerston North, but also local boards yep. up in, in Auckland. School boards? Um, not school boards, okay. no. Um, so they have to be elected as part of the local government sphere. Um, and also just making it a little bit more user-friendly. So instead of absolutely everything being listed, it would be a, a summary. Mm-hmm. Um, and ensure that there's some consistency. So, yeah, I'm really pleased that it's it's reported back. We'll see what the, what the House or the Parliament thinks of it at the next step. But... Um, it, it bodes well for the future.
0: Have you had a chance to witness Ian McKelvey in his assistant Speaker of the House role?
1: I have. I have. And I took a call um, on something to do with courthouses and I, I talked about how I had been in the in the the, the Speaker's Courthouse in, in Fielding, although it doesn't exist as a courthouse anymore. Mm-hmm. He is doing a fantastic job, actually, um, and I... I yeah. He is someone who is respected across and around the house. Um and he is very fair and I am enjoying his um lighthearted wit mm-hmm. and his quick quips um and his reminders to us all, including myself from time to time, to keep it on topic yeah. and on track. Um, and, yeah, he's doing an excellent job in that role. Is
0: this a bit of succession planning on on Mallard's part? Because he's been Speaker for a long time and, you know, people are always moving a a motion of no confidence in the Speaker. It's never put, though,
1: and it doesn't succeed. Um, I know, for example, our Deputy Speaker is Adrian Rurafi and I think we're really fortunate in that our presiding officers in the Parliament do a fantastic job. It's often not an easy role to undertake. Hmm. Um, Ian's, uh, as he called it, calls it his ascendancy into the role, <laughs> is due to the hybrid parliament and the fact that we need to have whoever that person is physically present. Um, succession planning, we have a Speaker at the moment. Uh, as I understand it, there, there is no change to that over recent times, although some people might call for that. But, you know, Trevor does a fantastic job as well. It's it's trying circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, once the Speaker or Presiding Officer makes a decision, it's over to the House to accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate that some members don't do that and they like to trifle. Um, although I have to say, that Mr. McKelvey, when he makes a decision, um, everyone accepts it and they move <laughs> on. So it, it, it's a testament to his fairness and how well he is. He's,
0: he's, I've always quite liked Ian, and I know this is meant to be a catch-up with you, but uh, I've, I've always liked his sort of allergy almost to that conflict style of politics. You know, I, I, I quite like our catch-ups, which will be next Friday if anyone's interested, because I'll say, hasn't the government done a good job in this area? And he'll invariably go, yeah. Really. I've actually listened
1: to um, I think one of the most recent catch ups uh, on a drive back on a um, on a podcast that I Bluetoothed through the car there mm-hmm. and um, and it was him mm-hmm. and yes he he seems to accept that in many circumstances the government is doing a good job I have to say I don't think I've ever said that for for <laughs> uh, for members of his team um, but no maybe you, you just know, need it, to be a bit more open
0: to the idea well I'm always open <laughs> but the reality is something quite different. Tangi Utakere, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North. Thank you for catching up with us this morning. Thanks, Fraser, everyone. Have a good weekend.
1: If you haven't got your vaccination, there are opportunities to do so this afternoon.
0: There we go. Tangi Utakere, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North, joining us on the catch-up. Join us on Monday at half past eight. Wendy Carr from Fielding and District Promotions will be with us. Enjoy your weekend. Stay dry. And we will talk to you Monday at half past eight. Bye for now.